go ahead and hit the ground running. It's great to see everybody. Uh, sorry about last week. Totally tormented me. I'm not kidding. Ask Annette. I was a basket case last week. I hate canceling services for anything. I grew up in West Texas where unless there's an F5 on the ground outside in your backyard, you don't stop anything. And so, man, it was killing me to call off last week. I just want you to know it was, I did, it did not feel like a break for me. It felt like torment. So, uh, for one, I love what we're doing, and I love you guys, and I, and I know sometimes it throws a kink in everything for everybody, but anyway, we're back on, and uh, saw the storms rolling in today, and Annette said, oh my gosh, I said, don't even say it. We're, we're not canceling anything unless we're airborne, you know, unless we're Wizard of Oz moment. So anyway, great to see everybody. We're going to go ahead and start in chapter two. We're not going to backtrack or review at all. There's no need to do that. Uh, we are posting these online. Russ is getting it ready right now, working on it. And uh, so these will be uh, where you can go to our uh, Facebook page, Oak Hills Church Fredericksburg, and you can watch it on there, or you can go to my Facebook page and uh, watch it there. So we'll post it on both. And uh, so let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to pray as we do. Again, turn to chapter two. If you need a book, Russ has them in the back. They're $6, and uh, he can get you connected with that. So let's get started. Father, we come before you tonight as friends, as family, as disciples, as sons and daughters. Our hearts are open toward you. Father, I'm asking a favor as a son. Would you open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we will literally hear, and our hearts that will know the truth that makes us free. Father, thank you for the privilege of laying strong foundations so that when the winds blow and the storms come like we witnessed earlier today, we may be bent, but we will never be broken because we are, our house is built on a solid rock. And so thank you for the privilege of not only becoming disciples and walking in discipleship, but being prepared and equipped to make disciples, to take others through this. And so, Lord, I'm asking for every person in this room, Lord, would you begin to pull around us into our orbit and give us grace to recognize the Pauls that are in our life, the Barnabases that are in our life, the encouragers, and the Timothys that you're bringing into our life that we would have the privilege to walk through this discipleship track with them. And so, again, we pray for grace. We lift up our students next door. I love hearing their voices over there, their laughter, their joy. And I'm, I, we pray for the next generation. And, Father, even as, as in our life group, we recognize that there's a, there's a special call on this next generation. And we want to be a church that throws gasoline on the flame. Uh, not buckets of water, but buckets of fuel. So that, they can, that we become the platform uh, that they can take off from. So we, we speak life and blessing over them and into them. And, Lord, we honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Have you done the Purple Book? We're going to continue to ask that question. It's going to become a normal part of our culture as we continue through this. So we want to make sure that everybody gets an opportunity to do this. A number of years ago, uh, we were in Brentwood, Tennessee. I was on staff at a church, Bethel World Outreach Church in Brentwood. And uh, our pastor had this wild idea. He wanted to have t-shirts made that said, have you done the Purple Book? He was actually preaching a sermon on the Purple Book. Again, encouraging people. We, it was one of those things we constantly engaged. And, uh, but it was Thursday, and, and it was, the sermon was that Sunday. So we ordered 5,000 t-shirts on a Thursday, and we had them there by Sunday. It was insanity. And, uh, but we all ended up, and Annette still has hers. I'm going to have her wear it one night just so you can see it. But we had t-shirts, and we could probably get those done again, I'm sure, but we won't pull a stunt like that. But the idea of doing the Purple Book, it's not just a thing. It's discipleship. One of the things that is a, one of the biggest issues in churches, in fact, if you ask most church staff, hey, what is your discipleship track? You know, what, what do you do to make disciples? They'll say, well, you know, we get people to come to church, and some may have a Sunday school class, and some may have a, a various Bible studies they can attend. Y'all are on the poll, so I'm going to move around, so I split the poll there. You know, we, we got various things, you know, go to a lot, but all that's hodgepodge. There's no actual systemized 
approach to that. And so we want to be intentional in doing what Jesus gave us the command to do. We call it the mandate, the apostolic mandate. The word apostolic simply means go. It means to live a life on mission. I'm not talking about apostle like Apostle Paul. He was a sender. He was a goer and a sender. He was a player coach. But we're talking in terms of what it means for us to have an apostolic grace, apostolic call in our life. That means we are living life on mission. We are all missionaries to where we live, where we work, and where we play. And that means living life aware. I call it just keeping your radar on so that where you live, where you work, and where you play, you recognize the movement of God around you, and you recognize when God is prompting you or leading you in conversations, leading you in your work, leading you uh, in your worship, leading you in your interactions with employees, friends, family, strangers. You are living life aware and with your radar on. That's what we want to do. We want to live on mission. So in Matthew chapter 28, we see the great commission or the apostolic mandate. That's mandate simply meaning a commission. And it is to go and make disciples of all the nations. And that's really what our heart is. That's what our passion is. So I want to read to you also, and just always keep the harvest vision before you, because this is that. This is what we're doing. We're preparing for harvest. If we believe a harvest is coming, that God wants to do something unique here in the Texas Hill Country, and I believe he does. Do you believe that God wants to do something here? You know, not only do I believe he wants to as sort of just this ambiguous thing, but there have been so many prayers prayed, so much groundwork laid, so many people who've gone way before me, way before my time here. This is not, I'm jumping on a moving train here. I've only been here a little over three years, so I feel like I'm jumping on something that's already going, and my goal is to help generate more momentum toward that. And what that is, it's leaning into and having a faith to believe that God really wants to see people come to Christ. I read the scriptures. He says, he is willing that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance, that all would come to life. That's his heart. That's his passion. If that's God's heart and God's passion as a follower of Jesus and a son of God, a son of the Most High God, a king's kid, then that should be our passion too. Do you believe that? So what we need to do is believe into that and lean into it because here's the deal. I can pray with faith when I know it's the will of God. If the will of God is revealed, I can lean into it with everything I have. You know what I mean? Now, if it's ambiguous and vague, I pray in a spirit of appeal. Well, Lord, if it be your will, Lord, I, I, I would ask that you do this. That's different. But when the will of God is revealed, then I can lean into it and I can declare, Lord, sin revival. Lord, bring awakening, bring spiritual awakening, authentic, genuine spiritual awakening. Lord, bring out pouring. Pour out your spirit. I don't know about you, but if you were in the middle service or the last service on Sunday, sorry, first service, it was awesome, but I'm telling you it went up from there because the second service, we baptized 12 people, and what was beautiful, one of them was really special. Um, Tracy's daughter, Haley, was baptized. Haley had reached out to me a day or two before her baptism, and she said, do you think it would be okay if we invited people to put their hand in the water? Uh, while I'm being baptized um, so they could participate in my baptism. I, I thought, now that, I've heard a lot of things in 35 years. That was a first, and it was amazing. And Russ, I think it was Russ, made the comment that back in the old days when they, people get baptized in the river, sometimes people would wade out into the water and, in a sense, participating in, supporting. And so I thought that was a beautiful moment. It was so powerful. And all of that comes back to what I witnessed on Sunday and what we all experienced together was a taste of what God wants to do. When we were in Nashville, we attended uh, just a couple, a few times, a church in Smyrna, Tennessee, which is a part of the greater Nashville area, and they were baptizing anywhere from 20 to 60 people once every month in this church. Pastor Pat Hood has a passion for evangelism, a passion for souls, and over the years, as, as they have built that great church, that 
that culture has developed to where he's equipping people to be evangelists. He's equipping people. He is an evangelist. He's not, he would say, I'm not really a pastor. I'm an evangelist. And that church does that. And so we were there and we were able to witness it. And it was amazing watching, you know, 30 or 40 people getting baptized at the end of the service. It was messy. There was water everywhere. There were people jumping up and down. It was like an incredible celebration, much like what we witnessed this weekend. So when we lean into this harvest vision, I envision more days like that to where that becomes the new normal. Hey, we got 12 this week. Hey, we got five this week. Hey, we got three. We got one. We got 25. Amen? Could it be that God wants to do that right here in our time? Do you believe that? If you don't, let's, let's just get in our faith. Let's just get into faith and believe that God wants to bring people to Jesus in the hill country. Amen? I think there are people who come here. In fact, there's people sitting in this room right now. When I remember meeting you and you just moved here, and I said, why are you here? And they're like, I'm not sure. God just told me to move here. I'm like, oh, okay. God may be up to something here. And I've heard that over and over and over in our three years of being here. God is mysteriously, inexplicably airlifting people in here. Have you noticed? Our town's growing a little bit. Our whole area or region out here is growing. And it's not just because of the wine industry. It's because God has a plan to do something amazing here. So let's get in on that. Amen. And lean into it. So let's pray together for this harvest vision. And so we're going to pick up tonight. Chapter 2, Lordship and Obedience. Oh my, this is strong. I'm just saying, if you did your homework and you were able to do it, you got an extra week, so no excuses, right? So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who did their homework, so I'm not going to do that to you this time. All right, so here we go. Chapter 2, Lordship and Obedience. We're going to hit the ground running with this, and we'll talk first about some foundations. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16 says this, For I command you today to do these things, to love your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. And then look at the result. This is a covenant statement, by the way. Look at the result of doing that. If you, because a covenant statement is if, then. If you do this, then we'll ha this will happen. So it's a, it's a result uh, after, after something that you initiate. He says, so if you do this, here's what happens. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Of course, he's speaking to uh, the chosen people that were called out of exile, out of Egypt, into a new land. By the way, that is such a picture and such a type and shadow of our own journey in Christ. Amen? So it's interesting we can read that, and you can look at it from a historical perspective, but there's also another perspective that's personal in nature, that their story is actually our individual story. We're coming out of exile. We're coming out of, out of Egypt. We're coming into a new land, a promised land flowing with milk and honey. And he says this, if you walk in obedience... Love the Lord and walk, keep his commands, then you'll live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Luke chapter 6, verse 49, 46 and 49, says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, this is Jesus speaking, and do not do what I say? Someone say, that's strong. Jesus is laying it right out, isn't he? He's just cutting to the chase. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? Because he, what he's saying is, rhetorically, if I'm your Lord, that means I'm your master. And if I say to do something, but you don't do it, why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? I don't know about you. I, I get, I used to say convicted. I say convinced now because it's the same word. I get convinced when I read these scriptures of like, hmm, I need to lean into that. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What we're doing here, and if you'll even look at the cover of your book, Biblical Foundations for Building Strong Disciples. We're laying strong foundations. If you've ever had a, a house with a bad foundation, you know how bad that is. That house is doomed to failure sooner or later. And uh, we had a church building that was like that one time. And it was like when we were in a drought season, the cracks would open so far you could put your hand through them. 
Nothing could cover them. I mean, there was nothing you could do. And then when the when the rains came back, the building would come back together. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But just it, depending on the soil, uh, and it would because the the foundation wasn't properly laid, and so that building it's going to fall apart at some point. Listen to this, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commands. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If you love him, do what he says. Do what he says. So let's dive in a little bit. Listen to this, and this is out of the book. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is not only the Son of God, but that he is God himself in the flesh. Realizing this shows the greatness and grandeur of God's love, that he would become a man and die for us. This revelation changes our hearts and our minds forever. To say we must trust and obey Christ doesn't mean salvation depends on our being perfect. You remember the sign up there? Can anybody read it for me? What does that say? <laughs> We're getting it. Okay. I pull my sleeve. No perfect people allowed. That's why I love the fact that it was Peter that bolted in on that holy ground into that place because he was so after the heart of God and so after to see what was happening. So to say that we must trust and obey Christ doesn't mean salvation depends on our being perfect. Somebody should say, that's good news. That is good news, isn't it? That is great news. Rather, following Jesus as Lord is the attitude of complete surrender and obedience to Jesus Christ. And so it's a heart to obey. Another way to say it is that we need to be, I've said it the other day, we need to be quick to repent. We need to be quick to obey. Quick to obey. Now, I don't want to get out ahead of God and birth a bunch of Ishmaels out there because there is something to, to the timing of God. He is a God of timing, sequence, and order. And so it's easy that we can get out ahead and get out front. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever birthed an Ishmael. You may know what, even know what I'm talking about. That means getting out ahead of God, which is exactly what Abram did, remember, with Sarai. And then, remember, Isaac was the promised one. But he got out ahead, and his wife, Sarah, said, Look, I, I think I've got a way to get this done because I'm getting old, you're getting old, we got to... We can't wait any longer. And so she had a better plan than God did. And what happened was it birthed the very, the very person and, and really a whole race of people that became the enemy of Israel and still is to this day. That animosity, that enmity is still there. Uh, we saw it played out the other day. So to say that we, we have to, that we trust and obey him doesn't mean salvation depends on our being perfect. There's only one perfect one, right? So, and I've said this before in here in another setting, but we're in the process of being perfected. That's called sanctification. And we walk in justification. Justified means just if I'd never sinned. That's an easy way to remember that. But we, we're walking in this idea of sanctification where progressively we're growing, we're maturing, we're on this journey. And so day by day, one foot in front of the other, we're growing closer to him and we're coming into higher places of maturity and higher levels of maturity. Acts 2.36, lesson number one, if you're following in your book, you can look in here. Acts 2.36 says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Christ has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. Lord is another word for master. Messiah means anointed one. Anytime we talk about Jesus, the Messiah, we're talking about the anointed one. That means he's been anointed for a purpose, for a cause. There's a task he's been given by God. And is a special term for Jesus indicating that he's the deliverer God had promised to send. In this setting, remember context is king. It was in Acts chapter 2 where Peter stood up with the other 11 and remember he preached the first good news message, the first gospel message. It was on the day of Pentecost and you may remember that as he stood and preached that message, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them so they would have a good service, right? No, he was poured out upon them to empower their witness to the world. It's so funny because we get excited about a wild altar call or, or a tent meeting or a, or a 
conference or whatever. And, you know, that's all great. Awesome. Let's go, let's go have fun in Jesus' name. But the reason the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those disciples and upon those that were listening was so that their witness would be empowered supernaturally. Okay, I'm not talking voodoo and magic here. The word supernatural means super, above nature. That's all that means. So it was something that was above what was natural, above and beyond, meta-natural, supernatural. So literally, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in that moment, they were empowered to do what Acts 1.8 tells us to do. And that is, it says, you will, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. So they were empowered to witness, empowered to leak life, share life, preach life, live life, be the gospel, be the good news. Remember our motto around here? We are the body of Christ called to be Jesus. And we're reshaping that right now, something like this. We are the body of Christ called to be Jesus, building bridges of hope where we live where we work and where we play. So we're, we're, we're shaping that a little bit and, and bringing it into our DNA and what God's doing here in our setting. But that is what we are. We're the body of Christ called to be Jesus, be his hands, be his feet. But I'm telling you, you can't do that unless you're empowered by the Spirit, right? And that's exactly what happened here. So the Holy Spirit was poured out. And, and in the context of that message, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, Master, and Christ, anointed one. Number two, if you're looking in your book, you can see under, under lesson one, Jesus is Lord. Number two, what did Paul write about Jesus? And we look at Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11. Listen to this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him, this is Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That pretty well covers it. That covers it, inside and out. That every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, I have to be real honest with you. Here in America, in the West, we tend to not talk much about the lordship of Christ. We're so afraid that we're going to offend somebody. We're so afraid that we're going to be too strong, that we're going to, you know, we don't want to be too, you know, we don't want to be too bold. We don't want to be too fiery. You know, my dad, when I first became a follower of Jesus, 19 years of age, stepped over the line, and God completely, I mean, it was like Gretzky checking me into the glass. I mean, I was like, my world was changed. And I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I got to tell you what happened. He goes, what? I said, I got born again. I got saved. I'm filled with Jesus. And he's like, ooh. I mean, he was not exactly excited about that. You know what he said to me? He said, well, that's good for you, son. He said, just don't become one of those fanatics. Well, guess what? I became one of those fanatics, and I still am all these years later, lo, these many decades later. I'm, I'm more on fire today than I was then. I was pretty on fire then. But here's the deal. In Christ, as we're walking with him and growing, in, we should be getting actually more fiery, more excited, more more, bigger, better, the older we get. Amen? Man, there's no such thing as retire in the kingdom. We're here to refire, right? Not retire. It's like, no, there's more to do. I love Miss Charlene. She's, she is ministering in a nursing home where I would dare say a good percentage of those precious folks are younger than you. And you're there bringing life, bringing hope, and saying, there's st I still have a pulse there's still a purpose. There's still something to be done. And I love that. I love your heart in that, Miss Charlene. You're a model. You're an example to us. I want to be like you when I grow up. I've got a ways to go, but we're getting there. But that's that idea of I'm not diminishing, I'm increasing. What is that? It's the power of God at work in your life. That's continuing to grow so that at the end of this life, we cross the tape running full steam running full steam. We don't 
quit before the finish line. We actually run strong. Amen? This idea of lordship, though, it's like we're afraid to challenge people. Because, you know, if you challenge somebody, you just go down the street where they won't be challenged. Or they go somewhere else where no one's going to call them up. But part of the role of a leader, whether it's a pastor, whether it's your life group leader, whether it's a ministry leader, part of our role is to equip the saints for the work of service, but also to call you up, to call you out to a new place. I don't know about you. I played sports my entire life, so this coaching thing is natural to me. So I didn't like coaches that didn't challenge me to go beyond what I thought I was capable of. I needed a coach, right, Bill, that would get in my grill and say, you can do this. You're going to do this. Get out there and hit somebody. And it was like I had to be challenged. I had to be pushed. I had to be called out. And I found myself what we call playing out of your mind, playing above your head. And when you do that, you realize, wait, that was there all along. I just needed somebody to come along and call it out of me. It's the same way in this whole idea of living a life of faith, living a life of growth, living a life of a disciple, is that sometimes we need somebody to come alongside us and say, you can do this. Guess what? You really do have what it takes because Jesus lives in you. That means you got the full meal deal. You didn't get junior Holy Spirit. You didn't get second string Holy Spirit. You didn't get uh, C string. You're not, you're not on the third, fourth, or fifth string. You are not second class. You have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. The same power that called Lazarus out of the grave living in you. The same authority that when Jesus spoke to the wind and the wave, the sea was calm. The same authority that resides in every one of us. It resides in every child down here on the other end of the building and every teenager that stepped over the line to go all in with Jesus. That same spirit resides in all of us. Amen? You should look at your neighbor and say, you really are packing heat. You are packing heat, every one of you. But here's the deal. We sometimes need to be called out and reminded that we, that we actually, unlike Barney Fife, our, our gun has bullets in it. We're ready to go. We are packing heat. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. What I love about the idea of lordship is that the lordship steps in and says, you can do this. In fact, I'm giving you a command to do it. And here's the beauty about lordship of Christ. He will never call you something to that he has not equipped and prepared you for. So he may call you to something. You have a dream in your heart and you think, is this a, a, guy, a, you know, a person dream, a man dream, or is this a God dream? Let me tell you something, if it's beyond you, and if it is more money than you have, and more resources than you can imagine, it's probably God. It's going to be bigger than you. And, God's, and that is by God's design. He calls us outside of ourselves so that we have to walk in dependence upon him, and we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And so he'll call you out into something that is beyond you because he's calling you up to something. That's what lordship does. Lordship isn't him knuckling you under. It's him raising you up and calling you up beyond what you thought you could do. What you thought you could do. What you thought you would do. Can I use you as an example? Can I share something, Miss Charlene? So three years ago when I met Miss Charlene, you may or may not remember this, but in a, in a sense, you had one foot in the grave. I remember all you could, the first time I met you, you told me about how ready you were to go home and see Papa. And you said, I know you still are, but we're not letting you go. You got work to do. And I can tell you something honestly, Miss Charlene, I think others will vouch for it. The eye of the tiger that I see in you, I don't know if you ever saw the Rocky movies, but the eye of the tiger that's in you, the, the fire that's in your eyes, not only is it doing something to your spirit, but I see it doing something to your whole person. There's a fire, there's a, there's a vibrancy about you. Your skin, your complexion, your face, your life, it's, it's, you're not even the same person you were three years ago. And it's because the fire of God, there's a purpose, it's burning in you. And, and you, all the time. All the time. And purpose. It's not time to go home yet. But when you do, you're going to run across the finish line. 
You know, and you may go kicking and screaming. I don't know. There may be a heel marks in the soil. No, you're like, no, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not time. It's not time. Oh, my goodness. It's beautiful. 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 You may outlive us all. Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> so this idea of lordship is that he loves us so much, he's not just going to leave us alone. He wants to put purpose in you. He wants to put a reason for you to get up on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning and Sunday morning and Monday morning. You know, you can get up on Monday and say, thank God it's Monday. <laughs> Not thank God it's Friday. Oh God, it's Monday. But thank God it's a day to get up. I told, her, I told everybody I could on Sunday morning. I said, you know what? I won this morning when I got up because I had breath in my lungs. I hit the lottery. That was my attitude all day Sunday. I won. Everything's a bonus from here on out. And, and Sunday certainly was that. Listen to this. Jesus is Lord. This is a number five under that same lesson one. According to Jesus, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? This is in Matthew 7, 21. And this gets strong. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that ought to get our attention right there. Just because someone pulls their car into a, to a garage, or no, let me put it this way. Just because you walk into a garage doesn't mean you're a car. And just because you walk into a McDonald's doesn't mean you're a Big Mac. And just because you step into a church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Because the mentality sometimes is, if I'll show up, check the boxes, participate in the Bible study, then I'm good. But yet, there's never been, for some, a heart connection. The Bible calls that being born again, being spiritually birthed. He told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born from above. You must be born of the Spirit. And so it's not just getting dunked. It's not just that. It's literally saying, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything I am, all that I am. And then it's the three W's, whatever, wherever, whenever. I'm yours. I'm yours. And when you declare he's yours, then not only does he become your savior, he becomes your Lord. See, a lot of people want Jesus as their savior, get out of hell free card, but they don't want him as Lord which means we have to lay down our life for him. As, as Bonhoeffer says, Jesus bids a man come and die because we don't want to die to ourselves. But lordship means that we die to ourselves and we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. That's the only answer. Yes. Yes, Lord. It's, it's Jeremiah before the throne of God saying, here am I. Send me. It's the same spirit. He's declaring kingship, lordship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I remember reading this as a young Christian, and it scared me. It made me really nervous. It doesn't anymore. Now I just go, thank you, Jesus, because I know who I am in Christ. But it, when I wasn't so sure, this was scary. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I don't know about you. That just precipitates me saying, I want to know what his will is. What is the revealed will of God? Well, here's the deal. If you don't know the word, you're not going to know his will. Can we just be real straight about that? Bottom line is, he's given us his will, and it's contained in his word. But a lot of times, we don't want to spend time in the word because that's tiring, and I don't understand it all, and I don't have time for this because I'm busy. And so what happens is, is we go on and try to do the assumed will of God instead of the revealed will of God, and that's when we get in trouble. We go off on assumptions, and we start building a house on a shaky foundation. So I met with somebody this week. They're having a difficult go of it, and just really the wheels just came off their life. And this is a young man I baptized last year, and, and I mean, it's, it, it has gone downhill since then. He's struggling. And... I looked at him, I said, you know what's going on here? 
He said, what? And I said, you've loved God for a long time. He goes, oh, with all my heart. I said, but you have no foundations. You, you've never studied the Bible. You've never been taught. You've never been discipled. You, you've come to church and assumed that was discipleship. But you've never actually walked through and systematically laid bricks and mortar so that you can build and pour the good slab and laid in the electrical, laid in the plumbing and the mechanical so that when you start to build a house, it's built on a solid foundation. He looked at me, he said, you're exactly right. I love God and I've loved God all my life, but I don't really know him and I don't really know the Bible. And I said, well, I got good news for you. We're jamming through the purple book right now. And he couldn't come tonight. He's going to come next week. But what's beautiful about that, and, and the reminder is this, is that a lot of people know him from a distance, but they've never gotten close to him as a disciple. You remember the disciples that followed a particular rabbi. They would get close to that rabbi. They would live with that rabbi, walk with that rabbi, talk with that rabbi, do life with that rabbi for a number of years, and they would not only learn what he taught and observe what he did, but they would begin to become who he is. And you do that with time. You do that with spending time. How can we know the will of God if we don't know the Word of God? How can we understand that God has revealed things if we don't get in the Word? I'm not trying to convict you. I'm trying to convince you. This is not about condemnation, but it is about this. Could it be that we need to ask God to give us a hunger for his word? Jeremiah talks about the word. He said, I saw your words and I did eat them. Jeremiah talks about eating the word. He devoured the word. As a new young follower of Jesus, I remember being so excited about the Bible because it was new to me. I'd never read it. Uh, I owned one because my mom gave me one when I was a kid, but I'd never read it. And it was the old living Bible. If you remember those, the pillowcase living is padded green and the living Bible. And I, but I'd never read it. And I remember when I first started reading the Bible, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit began to illuminate the Bible for me. In other words, to just read it with no reference, no background, no understanding, no history, and not growing up in church, it could very well have just been gobbledygook. But because of his love for me and my hunger for him, he guided me to where I needed to go. And here's what happened. A friend of mine brought home a gift for me. I was a brand new follower of Jesus. I was living in a duplex in the Texas Tech ghetto in Lubbock. And because all we could afford, so me and my roommate, he went, he bought me a Bible and he bought me this little booklet called the Survival Kit for New Christians. You ever heard of that? It was a Southern Baptist thing. Very cool. And I remember it had things like the panic search for truth stage. It had all these things that you go through as a new believer, the doubt stage. It had all that in there. And it was just one of those things. It was exactly what I needed because it explained what I was experiencing and what I was feeling. And it helped me realize, okay, I don't have to know everything tomorrow. This is a journey. So I, I devoured this little booklet called this, I don't even know if they make them anymore, the Survival Kit for New Christians. And it got me on my way. But what it did, it, it peeled back a layer of the Bible, the Word of God, where it came alive for me. And then I found, began to find scripture verses that spoke to me. And, and some switch flipped in me. I mean, you wouldn't have caught me, you would not have caught me reading a book in high school. I'm just saying. Uh, you caught me out on the football field, out on the baseball field, uh, driving around the drag on Friday and Saturday night. You caught me doing all those things, but you would not have caught me reading a book. But after I got born again, after Jesus changed my life, I'm telling you, you couldn't tear that book out of my hands. And I remember my first, I got a New American Standard Version Bible. I just thought the whole world came alive to me because I could understand it a little better than the King James Elizabethan English. And I appreciate the King James Version, appreciate what it's done, the history of it, but it was very difficult for me having no point of reference whatsoever in the scriptures. So the these and the thous, and it just really took me off guard. But the NASB became my go-to, and the Word of God became, came alive to me. I began to discover the will of God because I was reading the Word of God. 
The scripture says, thy word have I hid in mine heart. See, I remember that from the King James. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. In other words, as I hide the word of God in my heart, it actually creates a barrier to sin. I become impermeable to sin as the word comes alive. Does that make sense? Lordship. Here's, listen to this. Uh, next slide. The Bible teaches that we are saved by God's grace, not by our own good works or our own good deeds. Amen? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, For by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves. That says it right there. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the Bible teaches we're saved by God's grace, not by our own good deeds or our works. We cannot earn eternal life by good behavior. That should be good news to somebody here. Because Christians ever since have been trying to earn their way into what they already have. Isn't it crazy that you already have eternal life, but you're still trying to earn it? It's that Puritan work ethic that we're raised with. You work eight hours, you get eight hours pay. That's just, we were raised that way, you know? But that's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom says, I give you everything I have. You just got it. It's called an inheritance. It's yours. Everything I have is yours when you stepped over the line and became a part of my family. This is God to me. Jimmy, everything I have is yours now. But, but I, have to earn, I have to earn it. I have to be good. I have to behave. And that's what I was talking about on Sunday, that this thing is not an outside-in. It's an inside-out kind of thing. I will never turn any way, anybody away from the waters of baptism. I don't care what their lifestyle is. I don't care what they identify with. I don't care how they identify themselves because it's an inside-out deal. When their identity comes from Jesus, all that will fall away. And that's not because I drove it into them. It's because the Holy Spirit in them has to come out eventually. So we trust Jesus in the life of another person. And who, oh my God forbid that I would be the one keeping somebody away from that. Somehow protecting God. Somehow protecting his holiness. Somehow protecting it. You remember the disciples did that. They tried to keep blind Bartimaeus from getting to Jesus. Jesus said, send him over here. They tried to keep the children from coming to him because they were annoying their kids, right? They were annoying. And, and Jesus said, no, no, no. You let those kids come to me. And Jesus got there, took them up in his arms and blessed them. That's the Jesus I serve. I don't know about yours. Why do I know that, Jesus? Because I've read the book. And the book reveals him as he is. Amen? The Bible teaches us to say by grace, not by our own good deeds. We can't earn eternal life by good behavior. Somebody should underline that, underscore it. It's in your book. And you should read that every day. And the moment you're tempted to beat yourself up with a flog because you made a bad decision, a bad choice, or had a bad moment, will be the day you throw that thing down and go, wait a minute. There's no condemnation. I, I've already, I, don't, I, can't re, I can't earn this thing. It's not my behavior. We must receive the gift of Jesus' work on the cross. What do you do to receive? You open your hands. You don't grasp. You don't grab hold. You just open your hands. To receive means somebody lays something in your hands. You don't grab it. You don't go after it. You just say, you get in a posture to receive. You say, all right, Lord, I, I, I'll take it. And when they place it in your hands, you don't grab it. You still hold it loose. Open hand. Thank you. Sometimes when I'm worshiping, I do this. Back when I was a young Baptist kid, I didn't do anything. I was like this. But over the years, I just learned that, wait, I'm a son. I'm a child. And he's my papa. So I'm going to reach up to him like a little kid in the crib. So sometimes when I praise God and worship, I do this. But there are other times when I praise God and worship, I do this. If you've ever watched, you can. Feel free to watch. I don't really care. I'm not paying attention to anybody but him during worship. But when I'm doing this, I'm in my own posture. I'm in a posture of receiving. When I'm doing this, I'm in a posture of giving. It's a giving praise, giving worship. It's offering the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of my lips. But when I'm like this, I'm in a posture of receiving. Salvation, eternal life is this posture, not this, it's this. And it's simply that posture of receiving. Listen to this. However, when true salvation occurs, the evidence of our changed lives should be obvious. In other words, it's going to come out. You're going to leak out the life that's in you. If there's life in there, it's coming out. 
because we leak whatever we're full of, good or bad, right? We all know that to be the case, sometimes in the negative. But the good news is this, when you're truly born again and you've stepped over the line, listen, I don't have to check you up on your Bible memorization. I'll have to make sure you did your lesson in the proper book tonight that, because that doesn't matter. What matters is, is what's happening in your life. Got a phone call this morning. Somebody super excited from our church. This is how I know this stuff works. Super excited. Been helping a homeless person. Somebody else jumped in on it. They're putting some resources together. Now they're beginning to dream about starting a homeless ministry. Guess what I had to do? Nothing. They didn't ask me for money. They didn't ask me to do it. Because when church members come to me and say, Pastor, I think we should, I say, praise the Lord, I deputize you in the name of Jesus. Go get them. People go, whoa, 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 no, 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 that isn't what I meant. I meant we should do, you, and they're saying you should do it. Listen, that's just been around this a long time. So I love just saying, oh, it's awesome. Great idea. I'm glad that's your burden. So now go lead. Go lead that ministry. Get you a team together. And you know, it's funny to watch people backpedal. But um, I'm a little ornery like that sometimes. But I love the fact that I got that call this morning. You know what it taught me, it showed me? Is that our heart and our strategy to equip the saints for the work of ministry is working. They're starting to do ministry, and I don't have to be there. I've yet to show up at the nursing home where life is happening, where ministry is happening, where love is happening, because I don't have to be there because the body of Christ is already there doing it. Amen? Now, will I come sometime? Absolutely, I'll show up. But I can't be everywhere at one point, and that's not the point. The point is the body starts to function, and now we're doing ministry, not at the church all the time. This is our equipping station, but we're out there doing ministry. I call it outside the box. This is the box. We're doing it outside the box, and life is happening. It's happening on the gridiron. It's happening in the schools. It's happening where you live, where you work, and where you play. Amen? As it should when true salvation occurs, the evidence of our changed lives should be obvious. You can't hold somebody back who's born again. You can't talk them out of it. You can't reason them out of it. You can't, re you can't even rein them back if it's for real. Let me tell you something about wild Christians. I'd rather rein a wild horse back than have to beat a dead one to life. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, I, and we got some wild ones around here. I'm, I'm constantly having to go, whoa, Nelly, whoa, hold on. Slow down a little bit. Let's go together. But I would rather do that than have to just constantly go, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, let's go. Because when true salvation occurs, the evidence of our changed lives should be obvious. Matthew 7, 13, listen to this. Lesson two, the narrow door. Enter through the narrow gate, ooh, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Just look at our world. Just look at our world. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I don't know about you, but that's sort of a shot over the bow for me. That's just a little warning shot to go, hmm, we used to do these fires. My granddad had a fire pit, and he would burn trash because that's what you did in Whitney, Texas back in the day. You burned all your trash. And, you know, there were times that we would sort of dance up to the edge of that thing. And, and if we're not you, sometimes you get a little bit too close. I don't know if your pants have ever gotten real hot, and then, then it touched your leg, and you didn't realize how hot your pants were. The Dearborn heaters were bad about that. You ever done that, burn the back of your leg on a Dearborn? I, I know, some of you know what I'm talking about definitely dating myself. But I remember sometimes we would just get a little bit too close to that fire. Listen, we don't have to dance that close to the fires of hell. If we're looking for a loophole in life to just see what we can get away with and still go to heaven, something's not right. <laughs> Something hasn't, the, the ball hasn't dropped for you. This should be something that, that we want more than anything is to be with him, to know him. And this narrow gate thing shouldn't be an issue for any of us. I don't care how narrow the gate is, I'm with him. And where he's going, I'm going. Where he's going, you're going. We're going together, amen? So that it can be a narrow passage, but if we're with him, we're going. So I, have to, I don't live paranoid, I don't live worried about that, because I'm with him, so it doesn't matter. 
That doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean I have it all together. It just means I'm with him, and that's what matters. And so we follow him as he leads, wide or narrow. The Bible declares that Jesus Christ is the source of our righteousness. The word righteous means to stand upright, right standing with God. Yet God's laws have not been done away with. There's still such a thing as right and wrong. Can I get an amen? Listen, I'm the grace guy. I was grace before grace was trendy and cool. I'm serious. Why? Because I needed it more than most of you. I need a lot of grace. However, just because grace, we were saved by grace, that doesn't mean we still don't walk in obedience to our king. And there sometimes gets this juxtaposition of truth and grace. No, you don't get one with that to the other. It's not truth and it's not one end of the teeter-totter to the other, not one bar ditch to the other. Truth and grace are hand in hand. They go together. They fit like hand in glove. It's not either truth or grace. That, that is a wrong paradigm on that, on that, that Jesus was full of grace and truth as though they're opposites. They're not opposites. They work together. But make no mistake, we are called to make good choices as followers of Jesus. We're called to say no to some things. We're called to say yes to some things. We focus so much on the no's, we forgot how to say yes sometimes and actually enjoy this life that he's given us. Actually smile and actually embrace the joy of the Lord that's our strength that in his presence is fullness of joy, that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of his brethren. We forget that. That laughter is good medicine. Every one of those are scriptures. And we forget that, so we drag this thing around like a ball and chain. Saying no to sin should be life-giving and joyful, not debilitating and depressing. Amen? There's still such a thing as right and wrong. When we break these laws, it is still called sin. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. That means I'm shooting this way and I kill somebody over here because I totally missed the mark. And it's deadly. The difference is that now as Christians, we not only can be forgiven, but we also have a new ability to say no to sin. Isn't that awesome? So here's the thing. It doesn't depend on me just gritting my teeth and trying harder. That's called works. What it depends on is me leaning more into him and him carrying me through. It is not about me. It is about him and for his glory. Steve? That's right. When I was in the children's uh, child care industry where we were, I was running a foster care agency, an office of one, and then I did other things. We had something called natural and logical consequences. These are things that happen because we make bad choices and bad, we make mistakes. There are natural and logical, we do reap what we sow, do we not? So there are things that happen as a result of our choices. Now, does that break our relationship with God? No. Can it damage our fellowship with God? Absolutely. That sense of well-being, that sense of it is well with my soul, that sense of me and God, are, we're in this together, sometimes that gets damaged. It doesn't, we don't lose our salvation over it, but we lose the life that's in this thing. And so a lot of people live that way. They've lost the life, the zoe. Zoe is the God kind of life. The God kind of life. The God quality of life. It's, it's what makes you, it's what gives you the power and the ability to live up in a down world. And it's okay. It's beautiful. So, good point. The difference now is that we can say no to sin. John 14, 15. And this is lesson two, it's the narrow door. If you love me, you will obey what I command. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If we really love him, then we'll just do what he says. And it won't be burdensome, it will be joyful. The word joyful means full of what? Joy. It'll be joyful, not burdensome. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, 
He is the one who loves me. He's just laying it out. John's being so clear on this. This is Jesus speaking here in the gospel of John. And he's just laying it out. He's keeping it simple. Keep it simple, saint. Kiss. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. It's actually so simple. It's the Geico commercial right here. It's so simple, a caveman can do it, right? It's that simple. He's laying it out saying, this is not complicated. This is not difficult. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. It's very simple. Listen to this in the next slide. It's up. These warnings remind us that we are not just new people in theory, but that we are called to live in a new way. And that's, that's where I want to I land the plane on this tonight. We're called to live different. I, I talked about this this morning. I did a little video thing while I was driving. I appreciate the chiding for not keeping my eye on the road. Um, but in that, I was trying to say this. And again, we're called to live in a new way. There should be something compelling about our life that causes people to ask questions. People should want to know why. Why are you up in a down world? Don't you know that ISIS is active again? Don't you know that, that, that all this is getting stirred? Don't you know how bad it is? Don't you know that the World Wide Web has taken over the world? Don't you know that our... I mean, yes... I know all of those things. However, but God. Let me tell you who's going to have the last word on this whole deal. If, unless you've read the book to know his revealed will, you might think, oh my gosh, this is all going to end terribly. But my God's the one who says, I will renew all things. At the renewal of all things, I will restore everything. And if you've read the book of Job, pretty depressing through the first part of it, but you get to the last few verses of the book of Job, it says this, he was restored twice. Restored double, double for his trouble. And you know what? Annette and I have been living that out right now. There's been such a restoration in our life of uh, the testimony is crazy and, and with no time, but I just want you to know, it's not just about eternity. It's for the here and now. God wants you to live this thing out. Call to live in a new way so that people want to know how you're able to smile through your situation. That doesn't mean storms don't come. It just means when they come, you respond differently to everybody around you. While everybody, I remember growing up in West Texas, when there was a, the, the sirens went off, KCBD Channel 11, they were telling you they had that old radar, and they were telling you get to get to safety, get in the, and it was, it was scary. But the difference between those that were confident and knew what was going on was the ones ducking under tables or going down into cellars and the men standing out in the front yard watching it, going, it's not even coming this way. It's not even going to get here. It, look, it's already turned. No fear. Why? Because they knew and understood what it was doing through experience. Me, I was the kid down in the cellar shaking in my boots because it's scary. But there's something to living up in a down world that when everybody else is losing their minds, you've got a level head through it because you trust God. Why? Because you have history with God. Why? Because you know the will of God. Why? Because you've studied and you know the word of God. You know the promises. And by the way, God's a promise keeper. That wasn't just a cool thing that happened in the 90s. The promise keepers movement, awesome. Awesome. Awesome movement. I went to the one in Texas Stadium, gosh, probably 95. It was amazing. But the ultimate promise keeper is God. And in Jesus, yes and amen. I mean, he will finish what he starts. Philippians 1.6. He finishes what he starts. Amen. Let me tell you something. He's going to finish what he started in you. And you need to hear that tonight before we walk out of this place. Whatever he's working on, it may feel like he's taking the back road and going the side route, but he will finish what he started. You need to lean in. Why do I know that? Because it's the revealed will of God. And if it's a revealed will, you can be confident. Paul said, I am sure, I am confident that the God who started it is going to finish it. Read Philippians 1.6. Can we pray? Father, in Jesus' name.
We thank you for your word because your word is your will. Your will is your ways, and Lord, we can lean into that and trust you, not only because of our own history with you, but also because of your promises, that you are a promise keeper, a promise maker, and a promise keeper. And your word is true, and it fulfills the work and the purpose for which it's sent. It will never return void. It will always accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. We lean into that, and we, we live our lives brimming with purpose. And Father, we, we don't want to flame out. We don't want to give up before the finish line. Lord, we want to run through the tape of this life, ever increasing, ever growing, ever learning, ever being convinced that you are true, that your word is true, and that we can trust you and take you at your word. So I pray for my friends and family here and those listening online or by podcast. Lord God, Lord God, explode your life in our hearts. Go off in us like thunder in our souls so that we can trust you on the dark days, the tough days, the days when it doesn't look like things are working out that you've got a plan. We lean into that. In Jesus' name, we love you. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll pick up right here. So we're in lesson two. We'll finish out lesson two, and then we'll run into lesson three. So we'll, if we straddle the fence, that's okay. The goal is not to finish. The goal is to be disciples. Amen. Amen.